So we're continuing today in, in the book of Psalms. We're going to continue in Psalms for another couple of weeks. Uh, I believe it's, it's two more weeks. When we go outside, um, we might have one week outside where we're still in the Psalms, and then we're going to make uh, making a little bit of an adjustment for about two Sundays, and then we're going to be getting in talking about uh, spiritual warfare, talking about some of the things that are going on around the world, some of the things that we see happening within our own country, but also things that are just happening around the world. It, it's pretty amazing to look at the news, to see what's happening, and, and to watch uh, how things continue to unfold, how the enemy is working. Yet, it, it can be easy to, to view things as all dark, but we know that our God is moving in tremendous ways. That he is moving in great ways, and we hold to that. So if you brought your Bible with you today, let me ask you to pull it out. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, pull the one out from the pew. If you don't have a Bible, it's yours. Open to Psalm 40. That's what we're going to be studying today. Do not be embarrassed at all if you have to use the index in the front. Sometimes it's easier to find where you got to get to that way, right? So Psalm chapter 40, and, and that's what we're going to look at here today. Many of the psalms deal with similar themes. If you've ever read through the psalms before, uh, you, you might find yourself saying, man, I feel like I just read that last psalm or another psalm ago. Right? There's some things that, that seem very similar. Yet in each of them there are things that are a little bit unique, a little bit different than the last one or the one before that. So here today in Psalm 40, we're dealing with David again, and David's in another difficult situation, another challenging situation, uh, one that is partially, we, I believe, because of his own fault, and we'll look at that here in a little while. He talks about his own iniquity, which has brought him to this, but also because evil surrounds him. And maybe that's just other situations. Maybe it's brought on by his own iniquity, or maybe sometimes in life we find ourselves in difficult situations, not because we necessarily made the wrong decision, but because we live in a fallen world. Last week we looked at Psalm 34, the second half. And there was a verse that said that the afflictions of the righteous are many. You know, as, as, we, as we work into this today, uh, I hope that you understand and you're able to think through and process that this life that God has given us, this one life that God has given us here on this earth, is a life that will be filled with challenges. It will be filled with difficulties, right? Anyone who tells you anything different just isn't telling you the truth, right? There will be challenges. There will be painful times. There will be hardships. Yet God has promised to be with us through it. And here again, we see David in a place of difficulty. Psalm chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. There's a, a tremendous spirit of praise which starts this psalm, right? David, God has brought me through this. He brought me out of the miry bog, the pit of destruction. So I'm going to sing to him a new song. I'm going to testify of what God has done in my life. But before we get to that, I want you to look at the first three words with me for a moment. I waited patiently. I waited patiently. 
Now, waiting on God is not a new thing in the Psalms. It's also not a new thing in the Bible. We see waiting on God as a common theme in different areas of Scripture. Think of Martha waiting for Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. Think of Jairus waiting for Jesus to heal his daughter. Think of the psalmist in different areas saying, I waited on God. I'm waiting on the Lord. Our timing is not God's timing. And in life, we will oftentimes find ourselves waiting on God. It's not because God's late, because God's never late, right? But it's because we have a different perspective of, of, of timing and what needs to be done. The Bible's clear. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. God's different, our perspective of slowness is not that God is being slow, but that God is working according to his plan in his time. God's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I waited patiently. It was Spurgeon who said this, Think ye, brethren, might it not read, I waited impatiently for the Lord in the case of most of us? Think about that with me for a moment. You know what he's saying? If I bring it to modern English, he's basically saying in most of our situations, aren't we going to say, you know, I was actually waiting very impatiently on God. Because, because God just must not understand the urgency of my situation. He hasn't, he hasn't intervened in it yet. And uh, maybe I just need to pray a little harder. Maybe I need to do this a little bit differently. How many times in life do we truly wait on God with patience? What does patience communicate? It communicates a trust that God is working things according to his plan. If you're waiting patiently on God, you're trusting God through the difficult times of life. So uh, back in April, we went down to uh, Georgia for my granddad's 80th birthday. So, <laughs> but we went down for his 80th birthday party. And we went to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. And, and I've had tons of good experience at Cracker Barrel. It was just, it was just an off day. From the moment we walked into the restaurant until the moment that the food was placed at our table, it was about an hour and a half. An hour and a half. So I'm sitting there, and, and our kids are sitting there, and some of our family's sitting there, and we're watching, and I'm waiting. In the beginning, you're a little patient, right? And they don't have those things you can play anymore. Remember how I used to be able to, to play those? They don't have those anymore. And so we're sitting there, you know, a little bit of time passes. I'm, I'm being patient. But then my patience runs out. What do I mean by that? I didn't say, oh, we're getting out of here. This is terrible. No. But I realized my trust in what was going on in the kitchen no longer existed. Right? Whatever was happening back there, it was not, it was not what I thought should be happening. So my patience ran out. And it wasn't that I, I lost my temper. It wasn't anything like that at all. None of us did. I looked around the restaurant, and there were people getting up and leaving their tables because we weren't the only ones. Right? They were having some problems with cooks or something like that. I don't, I don't know. But if you're going to wait patiently, what does that say? It means that you're going to wait in a, in, a, in a perspective of trusting God. Because there are times in life when you wait on God, and it seems like you've been waiting for a long time. There are seasons that we wait for an extended period of time. Yet we must wait patiently. That doesn't mean we wait idly. There's a difference, right? It doesn't mean that you sit on your hands. It means that you continue to live out what God has told you to do. You continue to live in, in, in pursuit of God's holiness and his righteousness only through his power. But in the valleys of life, we wait patiently on God. See, David realizes, the psalmist realizes, 
that God's his deliverer and that God is working and God is moving. And so he's able to say in the very beginning, before he gets into the situation that he's in, I waited patiently. Get the verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. He does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. So, so who is the blessed person in this life? Well, modern, modern day culture, society, right, no matter where you are, may, maybe they, they view it when, when you're in school, it's the attractive person. They must be blessed, right? Why in the world was that person look so good and I don't, right? Maybe it's the person who is more athletic, right? I mean, the Olympics have been on. Some amazing things that people are able to do. Are they the blessed person? Maybe it's the person that has uh, enormous amounts of wealth. Are they the blessed person? But that's not who David refers to here. No, no. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Blessed is the man who trusts God, whose hope is in God. This person does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. In a way, it's a little bit similar to what we read in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Blessed is the man whose trust is the Lord, who says no to the wicked ways of the world, and whose hope is in God. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. You know, the reality of life is even in the the pit of destruction, in the miry bog, God is working in great and tremendous ways. No matter how hard life might seem, God is not idle. God is continuing to bring things according to his plan. See, sometimes we don't even notice how God is working, how God is moving. The psalmist here says, listen, I'm going to, I want to tell people, God, about what you've done. But the reality of it is, is I can't even begin to tell him all the things that you have done. Because it's more than I can ever understand. It's more than I can ever comprehend. It's more than I can gather in. You know, there are times in life, I think, where we, we can find ourselves in these woe, uh, this woe is me type situation. Man, my life is so tough. They have it so easy. My life is a mess. That person, they have everything they want. They're so good looking and I look like a donkey. I don't know what to do. I can't even pay my bills, and that person has more money than what they need. And we can find ourselves in that type of scenario, right? Woe is me. I'm in the pit of destruction. I'm in the miry bog. I can't get out. And the psalmist says, you've multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. Your your wondrous deeds, your thoughts, they continue to grow. You continue to bless us in more ways than we can ever comprehend. I'm convinced that that sometimes in our lives we have to stop, especially when you find yourself in that woe is me type situation. you got to stop and you have to write, you have to declare, you have to process a psalm of praise in your own life. So, so what do I mean by that? I don't don't mean that you got to sit down a piece of paper and write things out. That's not a bad idea. That might work for some of you. That's not necessarily what works for me. 
Sometimes it's just sitting down and processing, God, how faithful God has been to me. Because there are times I can sit down and, and think similar things. Man, my life just isn't as good as this person's. Yet, how great is God toward each and every one of us? None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet there more than can be told. It's that last line I want you to look at and think about. What God does in your life is more than you can ever understand. So if you find yourself in that scenario, stop. And look at how faithful God has been to you up until this point. You continue to draw breath. He promises to continue to provide. He continues to be faithful. His mercies are new every morning. And you can look at little things in your life, the smallest of details, and see God's goodness and his faithfulness. And you can totally believe and understand that all the things that you list and all the time you spend does not even begin, does not even begin to touch on how good God has been. But David has no desire to keep that to himself. That little psalm of praise isn't meant to fold up, stick in your pocket, and keep it for a rainy day. It's meant to be able to proclaim God's goodness to your neighbor and to tell your friends and your family and testify of how good he is. We get to verses 6 through 8, and we're, we're going to look at, actually go to Hebrews here in a minute. But verses 6 through 8, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Now, there's a couple of things that we can look at here, but uh, what, what I want to take a moment to say is some people look at Psalm 40 through the lens of, of almost a messianic psalm. And you can, you can definitely see some of those themes carried throughout Psalm 40. And this, these particular verses are quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll read it here in a minute. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. I have told the glad news of deliverance. Oh, I went a little bit too far. I apologize. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Now what is that really getting at? It's getting at the offerings that get, were given in the Old Testament were not sufficient to cover the sins of mankind. A, a Messiah had to come. A Redeemer had to come. Christ had to come. Because without Christ coming, the sacrifices that were given in the Old Testament would not have been enough. And mankind, those who offered, those who followed God, would have been lost. No animal offering would ever be enough to redeem one's sin. It was all temporary. It was done in faith that one day a Messiah would come, a Messiah who would save his people from their sins. Jesus is that Messiah. The perfect sacrifice. He laid down his life, and three days later he rose again, conquering sin and death. This is a foreshadowing here in Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, of Christ coming. 
And some people will take the whole psalm and, and look at it through that lens. And, and there's definitely parts that you can do that with. Um, let's continue on here today. Verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the congregation. He, you know, David says, I have not hidden your deliverance. I, I reminded me of a story. One day when I, I was looking for Nehemiah, and when I say looking for Nehemiah, I didn't lose Nehemiah, but he was hiding somewhere in the house, right? And uh, I was like, man, where, where did this kid go? Nehemiah, I'm looking for him. And I usually, he likes to play hide and seek. We weren't playing hide and seek. He likes to play hide and seek, and he's usually, he's not in here. He's usually not the best at it because he starts to laugh a little bit, right? You get a little close to him, you get a little closer to where he is, and you start to hear, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, I wonder where you are. <laughs> you know, it's up there, I found you, you know. And, and there are certain times where, where he's okay, and he can do it. Um, but usually he, he kind of gives it away. Last time I couldn't find him. Nehemiah, where are you? Nehemiah, nothing. I'm just looking. We're not playing hide and seek. Where is he? And I look behind, and there he is sitting in the corner of the room, hiding behind uh, one of our end tables. I couldn't see him with a, a bowl of uh, cheese balls and just eating the cheese balls, right? And he knew he wasn't supposed to have those cheese balls, right? And he was going to hide to make sure that he was able to eat the cheese balls. And uh, I, was like, I was like, man, that was... That was, I, yeah, you're not supposed to be eating those. I just took them away. Right? But that was pretty creative. I mean, he, he hid really well. David said, you don't have to try and find my testimony of deliverance. You don't have to look for it. Because I'm, I'm wearing it. I declare it. I preach it. I sing it. I say it. I live it. You don't have to look for it. Because it's part of who I am. God, you delivered me, and I'm going to tell everybody about it. You delivered me from my sin, from my iniquity, from my failures. I'm going to tell everyone about it. You brought me out of the miry bog, and I'm going to tell everyone about it. Have you noticed in some of the songs of, psalms that we have looked at, they remind us of the importance of declaring God's faithfulness, his goodness, how God is moving. Have you noticed that? A common theme we continue to see? I will declare, I will tell, I will say, right? It's not, God, you're really good, and I'm going to keep it all to myself. <laughs> God, you're really awesome, and I'm not going to tell anyone about it. God, you saved me from this, but I don't want anybody to know about it. No, it's, listen, you've done this. You brought me out of this. And everyone's going to know for your glory that you would be praised. Verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness forever preserve me. David knew that God's mercy was great. It was his love and his faithfulness that preserved him. It's what kept him going. It's what gave him strength to face the next day. I think we can testify to that in our own lives. That it's truly God's love. It's God's faithfulness that keep us going. It's so easy to become discouraged and to fall into that. But realize the steadfast love of God and his faithfulness. And now we seem to get, in verse 12, we seem to get a little bit of an indication maybe of what's going on. So Psalm 34, we knew that David was running away, right? We had that story. We already talked about it. Psalm 40, we don't have the same background. We don't have the same context that we had in Psalm 34. But Psalm 40 says here in verse 12, 
For, my, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They're more than the hairs on my head and my heart fails me. We're given two different things here. And there, there are some similarities between them. There's my own sin and my own failures and there's evil situations. Maybe not the cause of things that I have done. Maybe they are, right? Iniquities, my own sin, my own mistakes. David says, listen, there, there are so many evil situations around me right now. There are people that are out to get me. There are situations that are just terrible. It's, it's more than I can take. But it's not just that. It's my own sinfulness. It's my own wickedness. My iniquities. They've overtaken me I can't see. They're more than the hairs on my head. Now, David's not saying that however many hairs you have on your head makes you a perfect person, right? Bernie's pretty close to being perfect, but it doesn't mean he's perfect. Huh. Some of you are just like, who's Bernie? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but what he's trying to convey is the vastness of our sinfulness, the vastness of our iniquities. The older I get, the more I understand that. Right? I look back on mistakes that I have made. And I realize how true this is. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails me. It was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Whatever was happening in David's life, he realizes that he needed God to deliver him. Whatever sin he had fallen into, whatever evil he surrounded him, he knew he needed God. In his pain, he redirects his focus and his attention to the Almighty, realizing that the Almighty is the only deliverer. Then he says this, my heart fails me. Now, now, have you ever heard the statement, follow your heart? Right? So romantic and so unbiblical. Right? So romantic and so unbiblical. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? David said, listen, there's so many things that are going on in my life. There's these evil situations that are over here, and I, I just don't understand what's happening. And my iniquities, God, I realize I'm such a, a sinner, and I fall short so many ways and so many times, and I, I just don't know what to do. My, my sins are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart, I can't even trust my heart because my heart leads me down the wrong path. My heart tells me to go places I shouldn't go. I'm doing the things I don't want to do. And I don't do the things I should do, as Paul says. Paraphrasing. My heart fails me. I can't follow my own heart, but it leads me astray. He, he, he declares, and we're going to see in a minute, he says, I'm poor and needy. <laughs> I fall short. But God doesn't. Be pleased, O oh Lord, to deliver me. O oh Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. That's kind of an interesting thing to have to say at the end of a verse, isn't it? Aha. Uh-huh. 
this section in Psalm chapter 40, uh, Psalm chapter 40 is, is not known as one of the major imprecatory psalms. If you don't know what the imprecatory psalms are, it's a prayer of the psalmist against his enemies. Right? And we see that in multiple places in the psalms where the, the psalmist is praying against those who are coming against him. And in this section of Psalm 40, we see, and some would consider Psalm 40 to be an imprecatory psalm. There's debate about whether, where the imprecatory psalms fall within the realm of the new covenant with Scripture, with Jesus commanding us to love our enemies. What does that look like? Um, some believe that does not fit within what Jesus taught. Uh, at the same time, Paul, in a way, in Galatians chapter 1, almost prays an imprecatory psalm in his writing, and what he says, let him who preaches a false gospel be accursed, right? And so uh, there's definitely some debate on that, but both, both Paul and the psalmist are seeking one thing. They're seeking that God, the sovereign God over all, the God who's in control, that that God would enact his justice. Both of them are seeking after the exact same thing, that God, the sovereign God over all, would enact his justice in that situation. Verse 16. So after talking about, listen, there, there are people after me. My sins are so many. They're more than the hairs on my head. I can't take the evil that's surrounded me. I can't deal with this specific situation anymore. It's too much. I can't handle it. He then says this. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. There's joy in Jesus, amen? There's joy in Jesus. And be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. How often do we speak of God's greatness? You know, as Christians, we, we, we can think of a lot of things to think about. And we can have a lot of debates and a lot of conversations, and we can find ourselves walking into uh, this spot or that spot probably too many times instead of just talking about how great and how awesome and how magnificent our God is. Pointing people to that. This God is holy. This God is righteous. This God is the deliverer. This God can save you from your sins. Do we say, do we declare, do we live the statement, great is the Lord? And the psalmist ends with this verse. He says, for I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You're my help. You're my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh, my God. David, David says here, he says, listen, if I'm going to look at this honestly, I don't deserve a glimpse from God. If I'm going to look at this totally truthfully, I'm poor and needy. I fall short of God's standard of righteousness and of holiness. I can't live up to it, and I'm going to fall short. But, but God, the God rich in mercy, the God rich in grace, the God whose faithfulness doesn't end, he is my help. He's my deliverer. Don't delay. Now, now how, how can you pray, I waited patiently, and don't delay, in the same psalm. That's almost like when, when you go up to someone and you're like, hey, take your time, take your time, but hurry up. <laughs> take your time, but hurry up, right? You ever hear that before or say that before? See, you can pray, 
don't delay. David, David's heart, his, the transparency in his heart throughout the Psalms in Psalm 40 is so evident, so clear. And what David is saying is he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm trusting God. God's the one who's going to bring me out of this. And transparently, speaking truthfully from his heart, he says, God, don't delay. I trust you. You're my hope. You're the one that's going to deliver me. And with urgency and patience, he says, Lord God, don't delay. Don't delay. So no matter what pit of destruction you find yourself in your life, because we all find ourselves in pits of destruction, in miry bogs, in difficult times, and they can be different scenarios, right? It's not that you literally fell into a pit and it's labeled a pit of destruction. There are difficult times that come in life. And what do you do? Well, the psalmist teaches us that we wait patiently on the Lord who is our deliverer. Doesn't mean you sit idly. Doesn't mean that you just go, all right, God's coming, so I'm not going to do anything until then. No, you continue to live as God told you. You continue to seek his will and do what is right. And you trust him. You trust him that he is going to bring his plan to fruition. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your continued faithfulness. We thank you for David. We thank you for his transparency. We thank you for the, the ways that you've helped us to learn from his life. Lord, whether we are uh, in the best of situations or the most challenging of situations, I pray, Father, that you would help us to seek you, to wait on you, to wait patiently, trusting you, knowing, Lord, that what you have for us is best. God, we desire in every area of our life to bring you glory. We know there will be difficulty in life. Scripture clearly teaches that. And we thank you for the truth that you have given us, which says that you will be with us even in the most difficult of situations, even in the darkest of valleys. God, you are there with us. We're not alone. Help us to remain confident in that. Help us to uh, trust you in that. And help us by your power to glorify you even in the most challenging and most difficult of circumstances. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this song together as